0: Let's go and welcome Pastor Dave. Surprise. Let's let's pray. Let's get this started. Let's start off right by praying. Father God, we approach your throne of grace asking That you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. So our hearts will be prepared to receive truth. To commune with you. To receive that truth from your Holy Word. And Lord, we also ask that that truth would impact us to make changes In our life and produce fruit as we attempt to follow the example you've set for us to follow. And Lord we also pray a special blessing on Pastor Gary and Georgie. Lord they're celebrating their wedding anniversary, their faithfulness to each other. And Lord I pray we would Also celebrate your faithfulness to forgive us when we fall short. Lord, we just ask that you would anoint the teaching of your word and bless our time together now as we prepare to commune with the God who spoke the universe into existence. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today's message is entitled The Tale of Two Kings. Like me, it's very simple, like God's word. Sometimes we try to overcomplicate God's word. But there is a simple truth we're after. And we're gonna look at that in the lives of two men, Saul and David. They were the first two kings of Israel, Saul being the first. And comparing them, they were very dissimilar. Saul was made king after the people complained to Samuel about God being the judge over them. maybe Who knows? Maybe they wanted a physical king, somebody that they could go argue and debate with. But usually that doesn't happen with a king. Face to face, man to man, mano e mano. Kings were powerful. But because Samuel... He, he was the mediator. He wasn't the man in their mind, I guess, between them and God. First Samuel 8, 4 through 7 says, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you are old. Thanks a lot. And... And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge over us like all the other nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge over us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me, that I should reign over them. Now, I was thinking about this, and it made me think, what's another way to look at this? That's kind of like the employees wanting to fire the son who is in charge of running his dad's company the problem is even if the owner concedes he's still the one picking his replacement samuel's feelings they were hurt now anybody remember the first Karate Kid movie. I, w- I was just thinking, if God was Mister Miyagi, what would He say to Samuel? Oh, we're Wax on. No, He would. He He would say, Samuel, son your son, the people have not rejected you. I rock-eye. they have rejected me. I just sorry, I wanted to interject a little humor. You can just hear them. Everybody else has a king. We don't even have a king. God's people, they don't want to be separate, different, set apart, holy, or held to a higher standard. They want to be like everybody else. Well, they got a king. So, God's like a man. Oh, okay. So, you want somebody else to be king. You don't want me anymore. But you might want to consider the consequences of me allowing you to get your way. 1 Samuel 8, 11 through 19. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen and some will run before the chariots he will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties will set some to plow the ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots he will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and he will give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys And put them to his work. Oh, it keeps going. He will take a tenth of your sheep. And you will be his servants. And you will cry out that day because of your king. Whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people. Nevertheless, the people. Here we go refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said no but we will have a king over us we all know and have experienced the downside of when we rebel against god-ordained authority in our life whether it's at school, at work, at church, at home, there are consequences for our actions. And the profound truth that's revealed while we're experiencing the depth of consequences. Is this one simple thing. The consequence is greater than the circumstance. When I wrote it up, I wrote it like a math problem. I'm not that good at math. But I do remember the greater than symbol. Very simple. You can't flip that symbol around the other way. It's got to go a certain direction. I don't have it backwards. The circumstance you're under is not greater than the consequence will be if you rebel against God's authority in your life to get out under what you perceive as, oh, this is such a heavy burden. This circumstance I'm under. Now, hindsight, we all know, is 2020. Boy, you can see so clear when you look backwards. And you know what hindsight will do? Every time it will confirm this truth repeatedly, forever. As long as you live, you keep looking back with certainty that the consequence is greater than the circumstance. But, guess what? It's too late. You can't say, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It usually doesn't cut it anyway, because there's not a whole lot of remorse in the word sorry. But the damage is done. We just read eight verses of consequences but the worst is verse 18. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Now, you all know I'm a wise guy, so here we go again. Here, I picture God and Jesus up in heaven And here they are, boy, they're complaining. Oh, man, the consequence is greater than the circumstance. Sorry. And God's up in heaven with his fingers in his ears. La, 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 la. He looks at Jesus. Did you hear something? And Jesus is like, no. Well, I heard something, but it sounded like Charlie Brown's parents talking. Wah 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 oh yeah that's yeah that makes sense people in general when when they're looking for someone to be a leader they have the natural tendency to look at the exterior first and usually it starts with stature you you just can't help but notice it's it's human nature you know when i notice stature the most is when i hug my son he's 6 6 and i give him a hug and my face is right in his armpit Saul was one of those kind of guys. And not only that, he just looked like he had it all together. I'm sure his wardrobe, he was looking sharp like he had his own stylist. And that horse he rode in on, it's not very cheap either. He just must be successful. He just looks like a natural-born leader. You know why? Because he's a handsome, tall drink of water. You ever heard that one? 1 Samuel 9, 1 through 2. There was a Benjamite, a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zerah, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphiah. A Benjamite, a mighty man of power. So Kish was a Benjamite, a mighty man of power, prestige. Think about that. Picture that. And he had a choice son, a handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel." From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any people. Just imagine an extra tall Brad Pitt. Okay, reading the description of Saul, you know it reminds me of my first day as a PE coach. February 2002, Georgie took me in to meet my first PE class. And a kid, you know, I'm, oh, I'm Coach Moss. And this kid looked me up and down and he said, I imagined you taller. Now, it's not that, I mean, I'm a solid. Five foot eight and five eighths. If I stretch, okay, but the previous two PE coaches were both over six foot, one well over six foot. So he came by it honestly. And then the guy that replaced me also uh, was at least six foot. But you know what? I told that kid without hesitation. I said, what I lack in stature, I make up for in attitude. Now, sorry, now I'm telling stories. I got to tell you one more. My son-in-love recently promoted the sergeant of Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office. And he's actually here. I Yeah. And I love to listen to his law enforcement stories. And as I was reading about Saul, I remembered one, that Daniel's son I call him Daniel's son Because I have a son named E-son, straight up. My son and other son in love is E-son. So I started calling Daniel, Daniel-son, Daniel's son And my son, Michael's son. Anyway, I love to listen to Daniel's stories. And it made me think of Saul because Daniel told me a story of arresting a guy, a natural-born leader, a giant chunk of man like Saul. How many sheriff officers would it take to take Saul into custody, you know, like three or four, maybe five. So Daniel, he's solid chunk of meat. He works out and he can handle his own. But he told me, hey, he tells him, I don't want to wrestle with you. Mm -mm. I'm just going to tase you. It's your choice. And you know what that big, handsome, tall chunk of meat leader tells him? He's like, don't tase me, bro. God chose Saul as the new king, not the people. They didn't vote on it. But guess what? You also didn't hear them complain about it. They were happy. They got their way. We got a king, we got a king. Now we're like everybody else. They were so happy. He looked like a king. You got to keep up with the Joneses. Now by man's standards, Saul was the perfect king. 1 Samuel 10, through 24, therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come? Has he come yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood up among the people... <gasps> He was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upwards. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king! They didn't complain. Now, Saul ended up being a disobedient king who started well, but didn't finish well. So God told Samuel. Way before Saul was removed as king. To go and anoint the next king. King. I like to say kingy. Kingy number two. You, well you know where that came from. Me and my brother used to play this game. Growing up. It was called kingy. And it'll illustrate what we're going to talk about in a minute. Here's how you play the game. I was the king, and my older brother was the servant. And he would say, you, oh king, you are so wise. And you are so handsome. And he would go through this list. And then he would throw in there, but your feet stink. And so I would have to punch him. That was how we played. So it would go on and on. And pretty soon, my dad's swerving the car all over the road, trying to reach back to get a hold of us because we're, anyway. So if I say kingy, it's a Freudian slip. First Samuel 16, 1 through 3 and ten thirteen. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long were you mourn? For Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name you. So it was when they came, then he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Very important. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Thus, Jesse made... Seven of his sons passed before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him. For we will not sit down until he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in that moment. From that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Think about that. David, he wasn't even considered in the running by his dad for Samuel to anoint his king. Part of the reason why at that time, scholars think he was like 10 15 years old. He was a boy, a shepherd boy. And that was the entirety of his resume. Think about it. If David went to school, he'd be like fifth grade, 10th grade at the, the latest. Now God course wasn't concerned with appearance or physical stature a pedigree or a long resume of accomplishments something we think about when we're looking for a leader God was looking at the internal his focus was on David's heart like I said earlier there's a difference between these two guys. We'll see. But Saul was a disobedient king. Here is an example of his rebellion and disobedience to God's commandments because they weren't suggestions. 1 Samuel 15:2 through 3 and 9 through 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek, for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go, attack Amalek, and utterly destroy all they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and women, infant and nursing child, ox And sheep, camel, and donkey. But Saul and the people spared Agog. And the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, Greatly. I greatly regret I have set up Saul as king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. It grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. This is exactly what happens when everyone tells you how great you are all the time and they play kingy with you oh king you are the strongest most handsomest tallest smartest gift from god we ever had of course you're the only king we've ever had but still your decisions are the most awesome let me give you another example It's just like all the little people around a famous movie star or musician that surround them. What do they do? I'm going with the flow. The money's good. You know, that. It's a great idea you have. How did you ever come up with something so smart? You're not going to rock the boat. It's, it's pretty good riding in a boat. You know, Deb and I went on a cruise with Gary and Georgie years ago. That was one of the best. Man, the food is good. Oh. And you're just watching the ocean go by. Why would you want to mess that up and rock the boat? Don't bite the hand that feeds you. But the problem is, if you listen to all those people that surround you, and they're benefiting from you more than you're listening to God, you know what happens? You start to believe your own press. Hmm. You know what? You're right. That was a really great idea I had. That, that was pretty awesome. And then you start acting like, hmm, I'm kind of like the God of my own life. I'm getting good at this. You know, in fact, I might even just make a few minor changes to God's commands using my superior, deductive logic. Because clearly, God did not think this through. By killing all of the animals, then we'd have to use our own to sacrifice to God. That's just a waste. Because we just got all these animals for free. You're welcome, God. Yes, King Saul, he had some issues, but so did David. 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 4. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, took off for a walk on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. She was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Man. Pastor Gary says, a young man's battle is pride, but an older man's battle is complacency. I think that's what David is fighting in verse 1. Complacency. A smug, uncritical, uncritical, satisfaction with oneself or your many accomplishments. Too much time on his hands with nothing to do. and You know what happens? You end up walking around on the roof with your hands in your pockets and you get yourself in trouble. My next-door neighbor for 30-plus years sold goods at the flea market i'd see him every saturday come back and i'd ask him did you see any lookers that's what he called them. if you were a looker a looker was somebody that walked around the flea market with their hands in their pockets they didn't have nothing to do let's go kill some time at the flea market Walk around with their hands in their pockets, kicking rocks, looking at stuff, not really interested, no goal, just meandering. I think that's what David was doing on the roof. Yeah, everything's good. You know, my life's good. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to take the day off. I ain't gonna serve God and go out on maneuvers and fight that battle. I can send my people. I'm just gonna walk around with my hands in my pockets. You know, people are always telling me, Dave, you are so busy. You know what my reply is? That's because God keeps the troublemakers busy. That's what keeps the troublemakers from getting in trouble, they're too busy. David wasn't busy. He should have stayed busy. Now, Saul did stay busy. You know what he was doing? His own thing. As opposed to doing God's thing. Saul's response to his sin against God is very revealing. First Samuel 15, 13 through 15. Then Samuel went to Saul And Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. No, no. But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the looing of cattle which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agog, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder and the sheep and the oxen the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. But because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Verse 15, at the very beginning of his reply, even though Saul is the tall, dark, handsome, large and charge kingy, Making all the decisions, the blame shifting has begun. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. They mostly obeyed. It's like the princess bride, he's only mostly dead. He's not, if he was all dead, then it'd be over. They mostly obeyed, and the rest, oh, here's where he includes himself. He's been blaming the people up till now. The rest, we utterly destroyed. The worthless part, yeah, Uh, yep, I'm in on that. Totally obeyed you there. No repentance, just blame shifting and excuses. Samuel wasn't buying The sell job. He was really selling him. Oh yeah, and we utterly destroyed all the rest of it. But he didn't realize he was in the no spin profit zone, like Bill O'Reilly's no spin zone. Samuel's like, stop! No, that's not. That's not happening. You're just spinning. It's better to obey than sacrifice. Now, we see the heart of Saul revealed during this confrontation. And that's why God's looking on the inside. Of course, God saw that coming. But God's looking at the character of the heart. Now, in a nutshell, the truth is, all of this is so simple. When Nathan went to David... And told him this story. Set him up. So David said to Nathan. I've sinned. God used Nathan to set David up pretty good. He walked right into it. And didn't even see that one coming. What happened? David got so emotionally invested in Nathan's story. He didn't even realize that the death penalty that he had just pronounced on that sheep thief was actually a death penalty on him. Here's the important part. I believe that God's intent using that story of that man had many sheep and this other man only had one little ewe lamb and that man said, well, I got to feed this traveler. I'm going to steal that guy's sheep. Man, that, that stirred up David's righteous indignation. But I believe the intent of that, it wasn't meant to condemn David to death. God didn't say, ha, you said they deserve to die. He deserves to die. And of course, Nathan said that. You are the man, David. You are the man. In that story, but God used it to convict him, not to condemn him. That wasn't God's intent. David was a prodigal. He was so deep in sin. You know, when, when I look at it, I'm like, well, man, I hadn't done anything like that in my life. I look at David's life and I see he swings hard both ways. He can either be a godly, godly man, fearless, fighting giants, doing all these great things for God. Or he can commit adultery and then try to cover it up. It's like, man, I need a plan A. Have her, have her husband come home, and we'll, he'll maybe he'll sleep with her, and nobody'll know. And they'll have a, their that son, and the only thing they might just go, well, that's kind of weird. He's got red hair, but that didn't work. Uriah was too much of a man of integrity. David was in deep, so he had another plan. Man, all right, let's get some wine. Come on over. I'm going to get you drunk. And then see, yeah, that always, we're going to try to affect his judgment. Still slept on the ground. Even when he's drunk, Uriah had too much integrity. Plan C is, man, I got to off this guy. I need to assassinate him. Here you go. Take this back to the commander at the front lines. Oh, by the way, it's your death sentence. The hat is pretty deep in sin, and God's like, you—you're my prodigal. You're my son these things we've done together I anointed you you were a little boy you've walked with me all these days and now you've turned away come back you're drowning and he there's one of the scriptures in there he's like I protected you from Saul. I anointed you as king. I had all these great plans. Just like God has for you. He's like, I have this awesome plan for you. But it starts right here. To obey is better than sacrifice. David was accepted by God. Here we go. Super simple truth. David was accepted by God because there was repentance. But David, just like Saul, they rebelled. David was in rebellion trying to cover up his sin. But... Here's what saved David. Psalms 51, 16 through 17. David learned this, took it to heart. You do not desire sacrifice or or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. A heart that's full of remorse. These, oh God, you will not despise. And that understanding and that obedience, applying that one thing, that's all we got to grab a hold of right now. That one thing he learned gave him a title that's referred to in Acts 13, 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Did God really say you have to do all of that? Is that really true? Couldn't you mostly obey? No. That's the goal. A heart who will do all my will. You're like, man, that's hard. Well, guess what? We're going to fail. But if we have a contrite, remorseful heart, a broken spirit, God can do the great things that he did with David in your life. Just like God had a plan for David's life, has a plan for our life welcome pastor Ed we're going to take communion and I would encourage all of us to ask that one question did I get that one simple thing right am I truly remorseful do I have a broken heart when I sin against God